Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. feels <clears throat> how it feels how it feels is like grief that's what i feel i feel like somebody died watching the election results um getting closer and closer i watched for a while and then i had a pretty strong feeling that it was um headed in a bad direction turned it off did some other stuff <clears throat> opened the uh, door the next morning and there's the paper it says trump triumphs on the New York Times, and it was like getting punched in the stomach. It was like saying, it was like a headline that said uh, somebody had been assassinated or somebody died, or I felt like somebody called me up and somebody in my family had died, God forbid. It was, uh, 
Now, now, I know this is a couple of days later. I mean, you've all had time to um, to digest this news. I mean, you've had the shock. You've already started to make your adjustments, uh, acceptance, denial, if you're continuing with that. I mean, now, um, grief. <clears throat> New York City felt for the first couple of days afterwards and still feels a little bit, it's very quiet in um, Manhattan. I don't know about the other boroughs, but it's very quiet in Manhattan. And the day after um, the um, the election, I hate, I hate even referring to it. It's hard for me to even talk about it, I have to admit. Hard for me to talk about it. <clears throat> but the day after the election was somewhat similar to the feeling, and this is in no way disrespecting the people who died and the, the monumental tragedy of it, but the feeling in the city was something like what happened after 9-11. It was like the couple of days or the days or the, even the weeks following 9-11. There was a lot of immediate anger. There were protests outside Trump Tower where um, <laughs> the, the, the dark tower where the, uh, I can't, I can't, can I say it? Can I say President Trump? It's hard for me to say it. And I know, I know 50% of the country voted, 50% of the country voted for him. Uh, am I saying that everybody who voted for him is just like him? But a lot of people, maybe tens of millions of people are enough like him uh, to admire him. Um, yeah, I know there's all these issues. Mostly it's economic. There's a whole lot of people who are out of work and uh, feel like a lot of their jobs were shipped overseas, which they were. <clears throat> and then a lot of immigrants have taken their jobs, which may or may not be true. Um, but um, manufacturing under various administrations and different the Democrats and the Republicans for a long, long time now has been moving overseas, I guess, since the 70s and the 80s. Uh, so it's, we're talking about 20, 30 or more years that manufacturing jobs have been moving to Mexico, to Vietnam, to China. And um, all the biggest companies are to blame for it. The auto companies, um, companies like Apple, which has many of its employees or thousands of employees in China to whom they don't pay very much. <clears throat> but it is. It's a feeling of uh, of grief. And what are the four stages of grief? I don't remember. The first one is shock, disbelief, which I'm still dealing with. Um, I think I'm still in a state of shock or disbelief when I see the headlines. And now, uh, I mean, the next step, what is the next step? Um, um, depression after that. Um, no, rage, shock then rage, then depression, then I guess sadness comes afterwards, and then finally acceptance. So shock, rage, uh, call it sadness, the real grieving, then acceptance. <clears throat> but there was, uh, as if you look at the larger picture and you look back on it, there's almost an inevitability about all this. This is what comes from constantly voting for the lesser of two evils. <clears throat> this is what you get with the lesser of two evils. If you keep choosing the lesser of two evils over and over and over again, which a lot of us have been forced to do for a long, long time, 
Finally, what you wind up is with the greatest evil. The lesser of two evils becomes a choice. Now, here in this election, you had a choice between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And people were voting, as we all know, people were voting against, not so much for a candidate as they were voting against a candidate. And it's never happened that strongly before. So people were voting, people were choosing what, in their opinion, was the lesser of two evils. Yes, there were tens of millions of people who were voting for these candidates. They were voting for these candidates. They had plenty of reasons to support them. They liked them. They liked what they were saying. I can't speak for the Trump people because um, 99% of what he was saying is something I dislike or found um, repulsive or disgusting. Uh, A lot of what Hillary Clinton was saying... Whether or not she would have done any of it, I don't know. A lot of what she was saying, I supported. But Hillary Clinton herself and her husband, Bill, (laughs) her husband, Slick Willie, are an act that uh, represent in every way uh, an evil, but the lesser of two evils. Uh, Once Sanders was in there, there was a tremendous amount of hope There was hope that Sanders uh, could maybe have triumphed. There are people who think that if Sanders ran against Trump, he would have won. I don't really know. I think the Democratic Party, although Sanders did not identify himself very specifically with the Democratic Party the way Hillary Clinton did, um, he, uh, he was, you know, basically labeled. He was running in the Democratic primaries. It's the whole Democratic Party that uh, people were sick of all this time. What's called the, uh, what was it called? What's it called? The, uh, the Central Leadership Council or something like that. You know, the people who actually run the Democratic Party, the people who are, have been running this party for a long, long time. And um, there's never been, except till Sanders came along, there's never been a kind of a revolution in the party the way there was with the Tea Party Revolution in the, um, in the Republican Party which in a way gave birth to Donald Trump. There were many fathers and mothers to Donald Trump, and one of them was the Tea Party. When there was a revolution, people got <clears throat> people in the Republican Party uh, on the right wing and uh, maybe the lower middle and the middle classes uh, of certain types of people got sick of the Republicans doing business as usual. And it was not because they weren't... Uh, cooperating and governing so much is that uh, that they were. <laughs> a lot of Republicans got sick to death of uh, their own party um, because they were too liberal, if you can imagine such a thing, too liberal. And they more than a return to evangelical principles and to many more right-wing and many more conservative um, policies than the Republican Party, uh, bad as it was, in my opinion, was already showing for years. So people were getting sick of their own parties. The Tea Party was something that uh, should have uh, raised a flag for the Democrats. And the Democrats went along for a long, long, long time taking liberals for granted. They, They basically blackmailed liberals saying, well, if you don't like us, if you don't like the Central Leadership Council or whatever it's called, um, Schumer and uh, Clinton and all these other people, if you don't like us, um, Nancy Pelosi, this is the party. Just saying those names, uh, Clinton and Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, 
makes you feel the old uh, kind of revulsion, that sickness uh, that you get when something has been around too long, like rotting in the refrigerator, right? But nobody moves it. Nobody is, seems to be capable of changing it around or moving it. It's, um, <clears throat> well, it's a time of grieving for people, uh, especially in the big cities, I think. And New York City, um, the home of Donald Trump, now he's going to have his, um, I guess, his summer White House. He's got a couple of them. He can go down to his um, his his uh, hotel. What's it called? Mar Mar a Lago, Mar a Lago, <laughs> down in uh, down near Miami, or he can go uh, and hold himself up in his penthouse at the Trump Tower. I mean, it's already affecting me personally. This is in the most um, petty, narcissistic, selfish way. The bus I take to get down to the station and, and the bus I take to go to another appointment uh, every week um, passes by um, right in front of and has to, to, has to deal with the traffic right in front, which is bad enough usually, at 56th and 5th where Trump Tower is. And now it's, uh, it's going to be 10 times worse. So I'll have to leave much earlier. The bus will take forever. There will be uh, tremendous traffic jams just because this clown was elected president, this son of a bitch. Am I angry? Yes, I am angry. I am, you know, the stages of grief don't come neatly in, um, in linear form. I am shocked still. I am angry. I am on the verge of a depression about it. Um, and I think a lot of people feel the same way. Now, a lot of people, now, this is Friday. It's not, uh, it's not Wednesday. It's not the day after. It's a couple of days after the election. And people have already decided certain uh, attitudes to take about this election. One is, one that I've been toying with myself, is that I'm so sick of this lesser of two evils uh, running our government and running our country, and now it's going to be the worse of two evils, um, <clears throat> I'm so sick of it that I feel like turning my back on it, uh, skipping anything that has to do, uh, you know, with, uh, with news about the government, but you can't, you cannot turn your back on it. This is reality. I mean, every, we're going to have to, one of the things I was, uh, looking forward to and having Clinton elected was that I wouldn't have to look at this guy anymore. I wouldn't have to see him. I wouldn't have to hear him talking. I hate the way he talks. I wouldn't have to look at him. I can't stand the way he looks. All of this, I thought, and I wouldn't have to see his name all over the place anymore. I wouldn't have to see his name reported. Now I pick up the paper, I pick up the, uh, the front page of the paper, and I see his name on every headline, except for one today, which was um, that Leonard Cohen died, in case you didn't uh, know, have you haven't already found out. Maybe you have, since <clears throat> most people get their news almost instantaneously from the uh, Internet. But uh, usually I, being old-fashioned and not liking to look at the screen too often, I uh, pick up <clears throat> a lot of my news from, uh, from the New York Times. I pick it up. Now, I know, yeah, that's a bad place to pick it up from. <laughs> a lot of times uh, the paper, I mean, the paper uh, basically submarine uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, that was something that, um, <clears throat> that a lot of people hold against the New York Times. They were outrageous. Here's a chance for the Democratic Party, finally, after God knows how many decades, to remake itself, to reinvent itself. And you have this guy who's talking about income inequality, which is at the root of just about everything that's wrong. 
um, take climate change, take uh, the banks, take the economy, um, you know, take, um, take almost any issue and income inequality at the bottom of it. So you have this guy who is um, <clears throat> basically uh, establishing, and he called it a revolution, a political revolution in his own party, which it wasn't exactly his own party. He wasn't, called himself an, uh, a socialist democrat or um, a democratic socialist, whatever it was. But he was an independent, essentially, and he didn't belong to the central part of the party. Well, neither did Trump belong to the central part. That was the appeal for so many people, that he wasn't one of the usual crowd. And um, people like uh, Mitch, o you know, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and all these people, uh, Trump was not one of the crowd. He's not one of the, one of the boys. And um, that was the great appeal for a lot of people, and that's why a lot of Republicans turned on the party finally, the nascent uh, time being with the Tea Party. Finally, it built up and built up, and they turned on their own party and uh, elected uh, a man who was an outsider, not just to Washington, but to his own party too. <clears throat> but Trump is not an outsider in a way. Trump is not an outsider. He's very much an insider. Um, Trump is all about money. Of course, what he brings to it is a kind of shallow celebrity and fame, uh, which is a whole new era in American politics, is that uh, somebody who is merely famous, forget about the fact that, he, that he's made theoretically billions of dollars. We don't even know how much money he has or doesn't have, or that he was, or <laughs> claims that he was um, uh, a great businessman. His claim to fame, and one of the main reasons he got elected, was, uh, I think there's two reasons. One is because of his great celebrity and it has become, you know, clearly a shallow culture. It's a shallow culture. And, um, uh, you know, the other reason is that uh, <clears throat> he is an outsider. He, you can't say that he was conducting a political revolution. I mean, because he didn't really have a, a policy. He didn't even have one policy that he was talking about. Yeah, he was talking about everything. He was talking about immigration. He's going to build a wall. He's talking about... Um, Talking about banning Muslims, he was talking about um, talking about uh, you know he was going to bring back millions of manufacturing jobs. How he's going to do that, I don't know. Or how she was going to do it, I don't know. What, what are you going to do? Threaten these companies to come back to the United States? I have no idea. But it is like a feeling of grief. Um, <clears throat> most of the people I know, and that's because uh, that's who I associate with, and that's who's been listening to me for all these years feel the same way I do. They feel, um, like I say, some people have already started to make their adjustments. There are people who are even trying to look at it uh, the best uh, possible way, which is fine. Look at, look at it in the best possible light. I mean, you get people like Obama who have already uh, decided that they want to take the high road. They want uh, love to conquer hate, the way Martin Luther King said that only, um, you know, I'm paraphrasing roughly, that... Um, that, that hate cannot banish hate, that only love can banish hate. So um, in, the, um, in the name of a, of a, of a decent political transition uh, in, the, in, the, in the same way that has been taking place for a couple of hundred years, uh, he invites the man to the White House to, uh, and you know, there's a picture, a photo opportunity of him shaking hands with Trump. But uh, it's, um, 
really cr- I mean good good for good for Obama I mean this is a guy who Trump uh, tried for a long time as soon as he was elected to declare that he wasn't even an American that he was um, a secret Muslim that he wasn't even born in the United States that he was born in a foreign country that he wasn't even fit to be president because he wasn't an, actually an American it was a racist insane birther thing that Trump was doing and he was one of the leaders of it so um <clears throat> and the other thing about Trump is what kind of example is this uh you try to look to the president you know for better or for worse or even if it's an illusion you try to look to the president as an example for uh the rest of the country the president is supposed to um be calm and reflective and deliberative and firm, maybe strong, but to, for the president to be uh, like flipped out weird, <laughs> to, be, to, be, uh, to be saying and doing the things that he has said and done, and not so long ago. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, one of the first things that's going to happen in a couple of weeks in the midst of his transition, and God forbid the transition, I don't even want to think about it, um, Attorney General Rudy Giuliani, can you imagine? People in New York know about Rudy Giuliani. He is a, he's a, he's a cop lover. You know, nothing wrong with the cops. We need the cops. But this guy urged them on in a way which was um, <clears throat> which was racist, which was over you know overblown uh, constitutional rights. Forget about it. Um, and the cops um, the cops love Rudy Giuliani and. Anybody who's uh, a prosecutor or anybody who's a police officer of any kind, I'm sure would be celebrating um, that uh, Rudy Giuliani was the, uh, was the attorney general. And that very much looks like what's going to happen. Looks like this man is going to actually be the attorney general of the United States. People are talking about it. That's what the transition team. Who's in charge of Trump's transition team? Chris Christie. That poor dishonest, corrupt, arrogant buffoon, Chris Christie. And who is being talked about for Secretary of State? This is a rumor. All these things are rumors. Who's been talked about for Secretary of State? Newt Gingrich is Secretary of State. I don't know what to say. I think what we need to do is... um, take a a little time. We're going to have to adjust to it. It's in now and now also the baby boomers are with uh, with uh, Bernie Sanders on his, you know, who has been shuffled aside and um, with um, Hillary Clinton, uh, who has been um, uh, who has been now, you know, kicked off to the side and she really won't be back. She's too old. The baby boomers are in eclipse. If anybody is going to carry the fight against Trump, if anybody's going to organize a fight against Donald Trump, if anybody's going to start a movement against Donald Trump, yeah, well, maybe we could line up with Bernie Sanders because he wanted to have his revolution continue after, um, after he was defeated in the primaries. Somebody's going to have to be the organizing force. Um, there's going to have to be uh, uh, people or personages, charismatic people who can organize young people, black people, Latino people, Muslims, and reach out to when, when white people, uh, when lower middle class white people and when white people 
in the suburbs and other white people who voted for Trump see what he does when they start losing their health insurance, when they're uh, when they start losing more of their civil rights and they've even lost already. When all these things start to go, then we are going to uh, have maybe uh, a kind of united rebellion against Trump. I don't see him winning again in four years. He might even get impeached. I have no idea. Meanwhile, um, one way to deal with this could be just um, just by using art as a way of repairing the, grieve, the grievous feelings. So as I mentioned, Leonard Cohn died yesterday at the age of 82. And I think what we'll do right now is, um, is play a song of his. And then at 1030, we're going to have a guest to talk some more about this election. There was a secret card that David played and it pleased the Lord But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift The baffled king composing hallelujah, hallelujah
yesterday at the age of 82. Uh, Greg Pallas is with us. Hi, Greg. I'm alive. I know it's early out there for you. Sorry to wake you up. So, um, Greg Pallas, uh, I'm sure almost all of you know who he is, but in case you don't, Greg Pallas is an investigative reporter uh, whose newsbreaking stories have appeared on Democracy Now!, BBC Television, The Guardian, Al Jazeera, among other media outlets. And um, you can read his reports and sign up for um, information about Greg Pallast at gregpallast.com. That's G-R-E-G-P-A-L-A-S-T.com. And Greg is the author of the New York Times bestsellers, Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, Armed Madhouse, and Vulture's Picnic. He is best, and apropos of what we've been talking about here a little bit, he is best known in the U.S. for uncovering Katherine Harris's purge of black voters from Florida's voter rolls in 2000. What's new in the world, right? Um, and <clears throat> most importantly, his documentary film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, A Tale of Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, was released this past September. And how's the film doing? Are you there? Do we lose him? No. Oh, you Hello. are there. Yeah, you are there? I am here. Oh, okay. Uh, I was just saying about the, um, the film, um, you know, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, A Tale of Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, uh, was released this past September, and I was asking you, how's the film doing? How's the film doing? Well, the most important thing is that it was damn accurate, because in the film I say, here's how Donald Trump and his cronies are going to steal the election. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, you know, everyone thought, boy, that's a crazy, you know, you're, you're going to be, history shall make a fool of you, sir. Mm. Well, it has made a fool of all of us, but the, the film is, explains how this election was stolen. Well, Donald Trump and, was going on about how the election <coughs> was rigged, but yeah. uh, in fact, it turned out to be rigged. It's just it was yeah. rigged, rigged for him and the Republicans, right? Exactly. Now, here's the thing, Mike. So the film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, it's a tale of billionaires and ballot bandits. So it's about ballot banditry, how you steal elections. For those who, in fact, obviously, if you, you know, uh, I started on this beat. And this, by the way, the film follows me on my investigation for Rolling Stone, which is my current gig, mm -hmm. uh, as an investigative reporter for Rolling Stone, while I uncover the theft of the 2016 election. And as I say in the film, it's a crime in progress. Well, it still is a crime in progress, um, because uh, until you nail them, the case is, is open, until they're in cuffs. But here's, here, uh, you know, back in 2000, 
I uncovered how Catherine Harris, you know, uh, removed tens of thousands of black folk from the voter rolls mm-hmm. because she called them ex ex cons, ex felons who can't vote, and their only crime was voting while black. And that gave us George W. Bush. But we have a new system now. It's called cross check. Uh-huh. And at the center of the film is my investigation of this business called cross check. And, and, and what it is, uh, Donald Trump, people never listen to the second part of his, of his damn phrase. The second part is, this election is rigged because people are, quote, voting many, many times. Mm-hmm. Now, no one seemed to pay attention to this, to this claim or laughed it off. You know, and here's the problem. Every time in my in the sixteen years I've been covering the election theft beat for Rolling for first for uh, the Guardian and BBC, and then uh, now Rolling Stone and Harper's along the way, um, the uh, it's always the same. They make a claim that there's some evil people stealing the vote, and they use that as an excuse to get rid of the people they don't like. So, for example, uh, back in uh, in twelve, um, Rick Scott, the governor of Florida, said that there were one hundred and eighty-one thousand aliens voting in uh, in Florida's elections. One hundred and eighty-one thousand illegal aliens voting in the Florida elections, mm. and he began removing them. And here's the thing: they have their names, so they because they're removing them from the voter rolls. But it's odd if if uh, someone's an illegal alien, you think that they would arrest them, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, especially for voting. And they did. Out of the hundred eighty-one thousand suspects, almost all of them, people named things like Jorge Rodriguez, mm-hmm. they arrested and convicted one guy, um, a Austrian who registered as a Republican. He got ten years in, in prison. That was it. But they're removing Hispanics. And, the, and by the way, Trump, the, the, the day that he said he was uh, uh, fiddling women's other stuff, right. he also claimed that a million Mexicans were swimming the Rio Grande to vote for Hillary. Again, an excuse to wipe out Latinos. Now we have then, but this new claim of Trump, his specialty, beginning, by the way, not something he said two months ago, the elections rig, is something he said two years ago in, in 2014, okay? And I've been following it since then. Mm-hmm. His key advisor, two key advisors are Dick Morris. See, people don't understand the, great, the huge role of that little creep Dick Morris in the, in the Trump candidacy. Once upon a time, a Democratic yeah. operative. Yeah. Well, once upon a time, he was senior counsel to the president, Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. okay? Um... You know, so uh, this uh, little guy started, he was one of the people behind this business, and so was a guy named Chris Kobach. We'll get to him in a second, but here's the main claim. People are voting twice. And so what they did was, what, what no one in the press, unfortunately, except for me, noticed, is that they actually created a list of double voters to knock off <laughs> a, a blacklist. And it has, ready, 7.2 million names on it. And this Tuesday, about 1.1 million of those voters found their names missing from the voter rolls. This was not reported anywhere, except in Rolling Stone. 
Okay. Um, and it, this is the, the problem I ran into back in 2000 when I covered the theft then. Now it's accepted. The New York Times talks about the fake felon, the terrible, shameful fake felon purge of 2000. They wouldn't report it then. Mm-hmm. I had it in The Guardian. I had it in BBC. I had to go across the country. Now, I report on this cross-check story, by the way, in 2014, the first time I uncovered it, for Al Jazeera. I can't get American publications to say anything about uh, our elections being rigged. Because you heard Hillary, you heard uh, Obama. No one, our elections are never rigged. Yeah. No one, no, no American candidate has ever said, for president, has ever said our elections was rigged. Except, by the way, for Al Gore, who went to the United States Supreme Court to say it was rigged in Florida. Mm-hmm. Right? Except for John Kerry, who uh, read my book, Our Madhouse, and said, yeah, Greg Palace is right. His chapter, his chapter on the election in his book is correct. Uh, and, by the way, the chapter is called Kerry Won. Hmm. Um, now here we are again. So they've taken off 1.1 million voters, and they're all overwhelmingly voters of color. Are you ready for this? One in six blacks, Hispanics, and Latinos. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. Blacks, Latinos, and Asian Americans. Mm-hmm in the Republican swing states, one in six is on the cross-check hit list. And about one in seven of those is, is, has been removed from the voter rolls. <clears throat> on the basis that they voted twice or deliberately registered twice so they could commit this crime. So, and, uh, and, and mm-hmm. before, we, before we go on here, uh, mm-hmm. by the way, you're listening to Greg Pallast. And um, uh, before we go on, are you willing to say that this election uh, is an illegal election, that it's been stolen? Well, I'm more than willing to say it. I have the evidence. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put that out today at gregpalace.com. And the whole film is about how they're going to steal it. They, they did, in part because absolutely no one except black leadership, the Congressional Black Caucus, was screaming before the election for the Justice Department to do something. They didn't. Okay? And now here's the list. Just so people understand who, because, you know, maybe Trump's right. Maybe there are a bunch of double voters. And after all, Trump didn't remove anyone from the list. This was put together by GOP operatives. And it's true, at the the head of it was his... uh, was his star of his new transition team, Chris yes. Kobach, mm-hmm. Secretary of State of Kansas, who got, uh, he, that put him in charge of voting in Kansas. He got his other Republican secretaries of state, 29 other GOP secretaries of state, to hand over their voter rolls so he could look for so-called double voters. Now, there's people that voted, actually, in two states at the same election, hmm. which is a federal crime. Right. Now, it's not, like he said, it's, it, he himself said, this is very easy to find. You just match their, their names and their Social Security numbers and, and uh, you know, and address history. And so how did he end up with 7.2 million suspects? And how come they didn't arrest any? The answer is that in the list, and not, while there were two, 200 stories, on this wonderful system of hunting double voters, mm-hmm. including on National Petroleum Radio, <laughs> CBS, NBC, not just Fox. Mm. Okay. Um, not one American reporter actually asked for the list of these so-called criminals. I'm why, the only one. Why? Why? 
<clears throat> why the Times, uh, NPR, why all these places, why all these huge media places could have such a tremendous effect? Why are they so reticent to face this fact? You heard it from uh, Barack Obama and from the United States Supreme Court. We don't have racism in voting. Jim Crow in voting has been eliminated. And, that's, and Obama said our elections are never rigged, which means he agrees with the Supreme Court position that states don't, that uh, black people are allowed to vote without a problem. Mm-hmm. As he noted, you know, uh, when uh, in his inaugural after his second uh, election, he said there was, he pointed to a, he had in the audience a 103-year-old black woman and said she had to wait in line seven hours. But she wouldn't move. <coughs> so he so, she got the vote. And, of course, you know, the only problem that she had was that she was 103. But that's not why she was in a long line. It was in a black precinct, okay? Well, is it... And, you know, he, so, so Obama has, has consistently denied, consistently, that we have Jim Crow voting in the United States. But why, why, about. why, why would he, of all people, deny that? Why would he deny that? Well, um, my co-writer at Rolling Stone, for one of, some of my work, is Bobby Kennedy. He could do something I can't do. He can call Obama on his Blackberry mm-hmm. and ask him. And, and in so many words, and because he didn't say this directly, he, he was pretty aware of what's going down. He just said, I, he didn't want to remind people he's black. Oh. Mm-hmm. Remember, he's, he's just like Dick Morris triangulated and made Bill Clinton some, someone above party. Obama was above race. And he never mentioned race. He right. just didn't. Once right. in a while to excoriate, you know, black people for not making their children more successful. Yeah, well, um, <coughs> he, was pre- he was pretty angry a couple of days before the election, uh, saying that my entire legacy will be wiped out if you all don't go and vote. You all? Well, I don't know if he said that. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, he's, the- he's, yelling at the, he's yelling at black people, you better go out and vote. Because uh, it's a vote for me, not just a vote for her, you know. Yes, um, and but the thing is, what he doesn't understand, they tried. They tried, but not for him. So they did it for their kids. They did it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and um, and they, you know, I. It's uh, most African Americans vote on Souls to the Polls Day. Anyway, by the way, the, the film is called "The Best Democracy Money Can Buy." You ask me how it's doing. Well. It had, you know, slammed out theaters. We had more tushies and the cushies and, and, the, and uh, people per screen than Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it got any, uh, endless rave reviews, including such things, best film I've ever seen. And the interesting thing is most people didn't say it's the best documentary that they've seen in years. They said it's the best film they've seen. And it's kind of a documentary. If you go to gregpals.com, you can get some of this in it. You can download it, or, or there's other ways, or you go to Amazon's a couple bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, and it's really pretty much a movie movie. Uh, but let me get back to how they stole it so then we can see why <coughs> define, what happened, which is to, that to, the so list of double voters, I want, just want people to explain. This system called cross-check, how they determine yeah. people who voted twice. Yeah. They didn't use social security. When I got the list, no other American reporter asked for the list. I got it, but not by asking. Well, I asked. I asked 28 secretaries of state to give me 
the list. And they all said, we can't give you the list because, after all, voting twice is a crime, and so this is a criminal investigation. And these are the millions of suspects, hmm. millions of suspects, okay? And I, so I got the list because that's what I do. If you, you know, if you know Greg Palace, I wear a fedora all the time, so you know that I'm an investigative reporter. Right. And I got the list, and lo and behold, who's on the list? Maria Hernandez. What is, well, except it's Maria Hernandez of Virginia, and Maria, then she voted again as Maria Hernandez in Louisiana, except it's Maria Cristina Hernandez in one state, and it's Maria Isabel Hernandez in another state. James in Georgia, 288 men named James Brown were accused of voting twice, because believe it or not, they found people named James Brown in other states. Obviously, that, those had to be the same guys. And they matched as the same voter... In, in, in a dozen cases, just Georgia, James Brown Jr. and James Brown Sr. as the same voter. In fact, nearly two million names on that list are mis- mismatched for middle name and junior senior. Hmm. Mismatched from, and, by the way, there's a country singer named Willie Nelson on the list who supposedly uh, voted a second time as Willie May Nelson. <laughs> And uh, so they didn't even match the genitals. This is how they fixed this election. The election was stolen. Now, just in case you don't miss, I don't want you to miss this point. This election was stolen. Period. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and let me give you some numbers to chew on. Trump's victory margin in Michigan, 13,107. Michigan cross-check purge list. 449,922. Hmm. Victory margin Arizona, 85,000. Cross check list, 270,000. Victory margin North Carolina, 177,000. North Carolina cross check purge list, 589,000. It's massive. Massive. And they say, well, we don't hear any complaints. Do you ever hear any complaints about black people voting? Hmm. Remember, we've eradicated Jim Crow. You know, what they can sum, and by the way, the long lines are back. <clears throat> the whole thing. And I say, oh, we had no problems this time. Everyone is horrified when they saw those long lines in Florida in 12. And, and, and Barack Obama said, I quote, someone ought to do something about this. <laughs> someone. Imagine, if only he had been president, how things would have been different, right? Yeah, he could If only he had been president. And so he formed, are you ready for this? He formed a bipartisan, this is one of his, he loves bipartisan committees. He formed a bipartisan committee to, to do something about it. And you know what they did? They do a single thing about the long lines in black, in black communities, which is set up deliberately. Instead, they endorsed this program called Crosscheck, mm-hmm. the president's panel, because it was written by the Republicans. Now, I was in Ohio. Uh, the may seventy percent of of black folk in Ohio vote on souls to the polls day. That's the Sunday before the election. Right, right. Because if you remember back in two thousand four when they tried to vote, it was freezing rain and sleet, and black people were in lines for hours. And then when polls closed, they simply shut the door on tens of thousands of black people who'd waited hours and hours in the rain. So they said, we're not going to vote and, and do that ever again. We're going to vote on early voting. Mm-hmm. So they, and a lot of people uh, for transport and everything else, they went as groups in buses from the churches. They called it Souls to the Polls Day. 
70% of Ohio black people in that great swing state. I was there on Souls to the Polls. And in my film, The Best Democracy Money, with this church, and they wait five hours in line in the single polling place for early voting, the single polling place in all of Dayton, Ohio, because the Secretary of State ordered that only one, there could only be on Social Polls Day, one single polling station for every county. He said that would be fair. Wouldn't be fair to have, let, have Cleveland have more than, have, uh, have one polling place, get more than one polling place, when, uh, I think it's called Munchigan or something, I can't remember, some bullshit name. Hmm. Uh, some little, there's a county with 6,000 people. They got a polling place. Cleveland, with one and a quarter million people, got one polling place. Dayton, one polling place. Toledo, one polling place. One polling place for Cleveland? One. 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 O-N-E one. Middle finger one. Mm. And so for black polling day, voting day, it's one precinct. On white polling day, Tuesday, in Dayton, which is Montgomery County, 176 polling places. I actually went to the white suburbs to see how long the lines were. Five hours in to wait for to vote. In the suburbs, I went to see the line. There was a teeny line of poll workers. Mm-hmm. Six poll workers to two voters. Okay? It was you walked in and you got cookies and coffee if you voted. And this is all this is all the secretaries of state are people who are elected by the uh yes, by, elected yeah. sometimes by generally elected. They're political hacks were the only we're the only nation in the advanced world. I mean, even Russia doesn't do this, at least on paper, where we literally have the most partisan hacks run our voting systems. Hmm. So the, reason, the only reason why Obama, by the way, became president in 2008, the only reason is that in those key swing states, the secretaries of state like Ohio, uh, like Ohio were, um, were Democrats. Oh, who simply let, not that they fix the vote, because it's to the, they, they only do that in primaries, Democrats. Mm-hmm. In the generals, Democrats like as many people to vote as possible. And so they let black people vote. There were no lines. There were many polling stations in 2008. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, Obama would have lost. People don't understand. And people actually don't understand how close it was in 2012. It was quite close. If you look at the swing states where the electoral votes added up, it was close. Um, Ohio was razor thin in the end. Um, now, this time, they did it again, and there was a guy, a very nice guy, and I recognized him. I said, wait, he was volunteering to help people go through it. I said, weren't you the election supervisor? Hmm. What, are you the election? He says, well, I was. I got fired. I said, what happened? He said, fired. the Republican Secretary of State in Ohio, John Houston, said, wanted to completely eliminate Sunday voting. They had to have, by law, early voting. But he said, well, no Sunday voting. For, in other words, nothing from the, no voting for black churches. And the two Republicans and the two Democrats, both parties, unanimously voted to keep the polls open on Sunday. And Houston said, if you don't change your vote, you're fired. Hmm. They didn't change their vote, and he fired them, Republicans and Democrats. But they went to court they lost their jobs, but they went to court and won the right for black people to vote on Sunday. But he stuck with the one polling station 
So it went up and down. You could, you could go to my site, gregpalace.com, and see my report for Democracy Now!, where the lines are going on and on. Now, we have that in my film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy from 12. It's like, a, it's like, it's like you know, Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. except it's supposed to be Election Day. Now, this is just one of the tricks that they use. The other trick that they use, and I talk about it in the film called Caging. If you remember, they said in North Carolina, vital swing state, which was the worst in terms of vote suppression, mm-hmm. vote theft. I don't even like these words, suppression. If someone hijacks your car, you don't say, my car's been suppressed. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Yeah. Um, so they, you send out letters and to black folk, do not forward. And if they've moved, like inside their own building, mm-hmm. and poor people move a lot, right. move around a lot, versus white suburbanites who stay in the one place for 30, uh, you know, for 30 years. Do not forward. And it went to college, uh, you know, and they send these letters out to college students at black colleges during the summer mm-hmm. when they're not there, but they're legal voters. They send it to, and you love this, soldiers uh, of color. Oh, really? Who are shipped abroad, and so they're not at their home address where they are legally entitled to vote. And then they challenge them. When the, when the letters come back, it, those letters are caged, as they're called. It's called caging and is a, a federal crime, hmm. punishable by fines and imprisonment when you target voters of color. And that's what was happening in North Carolina this time. And the press went all crazy because they found 6,700 people were removed. They said, oh, these, these Trump rednecks were doing it. No, no, no. It was coordinated by a guy who's in my film named Jay Delancey. And in my film... This guy grins when I when I show him the the racial bent of his little activities. Mm-hmm. He just giggles and says, "Well, you think that Jim Crow, you know, came alive again?" <laughs> hmm. So anyway, I'm sounding grim about it, but it's actually a very funny film. Um, it has to be, otherwise I would be tears all the time. So the first hour is you you get to laugh a lot because it it's while well, it's a documentary, it has. Um, Rosario Dawson and Shailene Woodley and Ice T and Richard Belzer at uh, Santa Claus. Who's actually that's actually Ed Asner in a Santa suit. So Don't people, people, you. people can get uh, copies of this at GregPalace dot com. Yep, they can get DVDs, etc., and, and Amazon. The usual suspects um, for a couple bucks, you can uh, rent it or or buy it or whatever on on Amazon and and, and what is it Vimeo? Mm-hmm. At um, you know, people love the film gotten killer reviews and people love the film because they laughed because it was expensive to make brutally expensive because I also have lots of cartoons in it by the guy who drew who framed Roger Rabbit oh right, right. and that was really it, but it made it fun I like Santa Claus I like cartoons I like Rosario Dawson so I said gotta have them all in the film <laughs> and and uh, well, uh, me... one of the evil double voters and of course Willie Nelson is in there too but he's it's not a, people kept asking what parts are made up. None except for Santa Claus, and um, Willie Nelson really is on the the hit list. But it's mostly voters of color. But so, people named Willie are generally right. are generally black folk. Right. So so this has happened. I mean, you were talking about it happening mm-hmm. while it was happening, way yeah. before it was happening, and mm-hmm. now it's happened. And. Um, uh, the media didn't report it. Uh, the president and anybody else responsible for this didn't really do anything about it. So it's a done Nothing. deal, right? I mean, that's it. Well, yes and no. Look, 
I'm the guy who uncovered the whole Florida business, which, by the way, is done as a, as a Saturday morning cartoon in the film. Um, because I don't want some dull history lesson. It's not a white guys in front of bookcases, PBS stuff. Um, and they didn't, you could say no one did anything about it in 2000, except I was able from BBC to get the word out. Michael Moore picked up my stuff and ran around with it. And then eventually, eventually the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, um, said I was 100% correct that they were removing tens of thousands oh, of uh, black folks. Hold, hold on one second. Yeah. Um, uh, the engineer's telling me we only got two minutes left. Oh, okay. Yeah. So are we supposed to just uh, eat this shit and digest it? That's it? What's killing me is that even the progressive press is just crying about how they got it wrong, the exit polls are wrong. No, they weren't. They were correct in 2000 when, when uh, Gore won in Florida. They were correct in 2004 when Kerry won Ohio and should have been president. And they're correct now. The exit polls were correct to a tenth of 1% in, in Britain and the Brexit vote. Mm. They did, they're not stupid or here. The exit polls are correct in those swing states. Hillary Clinton won in several, in several states that were called for Trump because when people come out of an exit poll, they don't say if their vote counted, they fill out a provisional ballot, which is thrown in the garbage. We have literally something in the area of three or four million provisional ballots cast on Tuesday, and no one's talking about that. They're not getting counted. So, look, go to gregpalace.com and, and get the info, and, you know, it's not so painful. To get, there's a four-minute explanation there of, of this cross-check business. Okay. And you can get, uh, by the way, there's also a comic book that I put out. That's no charge, gregpalace.com, the comic book of the movie. All right, well, thanks for getting up so early. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm thrilled. Uh, but I just, you know, I don't know. Am I, I, I just, it's pretty lonely here, Mike. Mm. I know. I know. It's strange. I'm trying. It's strange. They did it again. Well. Let's, let's tell the truth on them. Okay. Thanks for coming on, Gary. You got it. Okay. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week. Uh, what can we do? The election was stolen. Uh, the election was rigged, and it was stolen. Uh, the proof is there. Go to gregpalace.com. What we can do with that right now, I don't know. Fuel our anger at, uh, at uh, opposing what's going to be going on for the next four years. I'll talk to you next week.